Hi, everybody. This is Courtney Drake McDonough. I'm the publisher and managing editor of realfoodtraveler.com, a digital culinary travel magazine. And today I have the pleasure of talking to Martha Hartley, who is the director of Moravian Research at Old Salem Museums and Gardens. And I had the great pleasure of visiting Old Salem in May of 2019 and just fell in love with it. It just had such a special feeling and was so much more than just a living history area. And in addition to writing about it, I really wanted our listeners to be able to get more of a sense of what it's like and what it's about and the history of it and what they can experience when they go there. So I asked Martha to join us today for a podcast, and I'm so glad we were able to get together by phone. So Martha, thank you for joining us. And as I said, you're the director of Moravian Research at Old Salem Museums and Gardens. Let's start with having you um, tell us what Old Salem is. Oh, well, first of all, Courtney, thank you so much for having me on today. And Old Salem is many things, and it's a wonderful place. It's a wonderful um, opportunity to visit and discover, and I've known it my whole life because I grew up in Winston-Salem, and I've studied the Moravians for over 30 years, and so I'm very fond of this place. And as you mentioned in your introduction, it is very special, and it's like no other. It's beautiful, it's charming, it's educational, it's fun, it's delicious, it's all these things. And Old Salem is, as you said, it's a living history museum, but it's also a neighborhood where people live, people like you and me. It is considered often a park. It is a home to Salem Academy and College, the oldest institution of higher learning for women in this country. It's the headquarters of the Moravian Church in the South, and the, the mother church is here, Home Moravian Church. So really, uh, it's just very diverse. Um, there are mature, beautiful native trees here, so it's there's a canopy. It's an ecosystem then and habitat for birds and other animals. Uh, it's just next to downtown Winston-Salem because Salem is the origin of Winston-Salem, so you can understand that relationship. Uh, It's a walkable place. It's uh, just a wonderful place to be. Uh, Whether you live here, visit here, um, come for a week, a day, uh, it's just, it's very memorable, which I think you probably discovered. I did, definitely. And, you know, let me interject here and ask you to explain what you mean by Moravian culture. Okay, well, Winston-Salem is here because of the Moravian Church, and the Moravian Church is one of the oldest Protestant denominations. The origins go back to the 15th century and predate Martin Luther, and uh, their origins are in what we know of today as the Czech Republic, basically in Bohemia. Bohemia and Moravia are the countries that make up what we call the Czech Republic today, and uh, it is out of this place that this... uh, very uh, progressive, Christ-centered denomination began its origins. Uh, I mentioned Salem Academy and College earlier. That is really legacy of this uh, 16th century ethic of educating little girls as well as little boys. So you can see there's great progressiveness here. Uh, The Counter-Reformation, however, was very hard on the Moravians, as it was for Protestants, and they really began worshiping in secret in Bohemia, Moravia, and spread into Poland. And it's not until the early 1700s that the really the modern Moravian church is born in that part of Germany known as Saxony. And it's from there that the Moravians began vanguard missionary work in the world, beginning in the West Indies to enslaved Africans. And their mission work spread, and they also uh, established congregations in Europe and and then in um, in America, beginning in the 1730s and 40s. And by 1741, their first permanent congregation in the United States was established in Bethlehem. Well, they created Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, and Nazareth, Pennsylvania. And then in the 1750s, uh, they were searching for a large body of land that they could control, and they ended up purchasing 100,000 acres in Piedmont, North Carolina, which they named Wachau, which is a place in Austria that they knew, and it, that word was uh, 
anglicized or Latinized to Wachovia. Some people may remember Wachovia Bank, which started here in Winston-Salem. In any case, uh, Wachovia is the place where the Moravian Church established here. The central town was Salem. They were surrounding farming congregations. So uh, Moravianness permeates this community and has um, since, well, for over 250 years. And so the Moravian Church, the traditions of the Moravian Church are very prominent here in Winston-Salem and Forsyth County. And uh, no one does Christmas and Easter like the Moravians. So those are major markers for everyone in this community and for people in the region. So it's Moravian is just very much what Winston-Salem is and has been historically. Hmm. It's so interesting. Thank you for, for um, explaining that because... You know, that's going to come up throughout our conversation, I know, and it's obviously something very, very present um, when you go to Old Salem and experience it. Um, so at what point was it decided that these buildings and the stories and the history of the area were going to be preserved? Well, that's a great question because that's what leads us to the museum. <clears throat> uh Salem had remained a Moravian place pretty much until the consolidation with Winston, and that happened in 1913. That's how you get Winston-Salem. And as the 20th century, well, in Winston-Salem was the largest and wealthiest city in North Carolina before the Great Depression, and a lot of this had to do with textiles and tobacco and, and those industries that were, were very dominant here. Uh, Salem developed and filled in like many urban areas and after World War II there was pressure to develop in the area where many of the old buildings uh, remained. Moravians built for for the long term so their buildings are, are very um, sturdy and beautiful. In any case there was there was a threat to a lot that people remembered had been an important pottery back in the 18th century and somebody wanted to build a grocery store on that lot and this was really the catalyst for um, establishing the museum. And in the 1940s, uh, people, and this time, this threat, people began to worry about the old Salem with a little O. What's going to happen to old Salem? We can't lose old Salem with a little O. And so the community came together there and formalized as a nonprofit organization called Old Salem Incorporated. This was community-driven, um, and they also uh, engaged professionals to help plan the restoration of the town of Salem. And so uh, from this community effort, this museum came to be with the mandate to restore the town. So. Since 1950, when the organization was established, uh, professionals have been uh, working here to to restore this uh, this town, and we are blessed because the Moravian Church is an amazing record keeper, and the Moravian archives uh, for the Southern Province are located here in Winston Salem, here in Old Salem, where there are over a million pages of documentation about this place, and that those are in the form of journals and diaries and church records and maps and photographs and paintings and drawings and uh, all sorts of information that tells us about this place through time. So Old Salem was very blessed to have uh, really uh, a treasure of information so that what one sees here on the landscape and what one encounters in the buildings is is really striving for authenticity. We really don't do anything unless we have a reason to, unless we know it is what was um, going on in the past. So that has been a real mandate from the beginning. So Old Salem Museum began in the 1950s, but it has always been part of this neighborhood. This has always been a place with residences and with the church, and the Moravian Church owns many of the buildings that Old Salem interprets. We have agreements to restore buildings and then share them with the public, but they remain in the ownership of the church. So it uh, it really started in the 1950s, so here we are in 2019, so 69 years of, of, of preservation and restoration, and Old Salem was designated a National Historic Landmark back in the 1960s when that program started at the federal level, and we have recently revised that 
uh, nomination to expand it and include a bigger story, which includes um, industrialization in the 1830s as well as the African or the first African American neighborhood in Winston Salem. So we continue to uh, to learn and to share with um, our visit our visitors. Mm. That's great. That's great. I didn't realize that uh, it was really relatively new, um, you know, the movement to preserve everything. So that's that's really interesting. Um, so well, in America, mm-hmm. the preservation of places like this, uh, we all think that we know Williamsburg, and that was in the 1930s. So mm-hmm. um, we're just really on the heels of that movement. Uh, and uh, historical archaeology was really just getting started in the 19. Um, 60s, and so archaeology has been really important to our work. Mm-hmm. So it really was a culmination of that philosophy in America and the retrieval of things before they got lost, because we know there was major um, development in urban areas after World War II, and uh, it certainly changed places, and, and people here wanted to preserve this place they knew that was old and important. So that's really how it came to be. Mm-hmm. Well, we're all very lucky that um, that that happened because it is it is a you know slice of life and slice of time and um, it is very interesting. So, what what can people expect to see when they arrive in Old Salem? You know, including things like the buildings and and the reenactors who just I I was really amazed by that. Yes, the the, the buildings are gorgeous. The architecture, the texture, the materials. Uh, the the exhibit buildings and the the interpretive staff who are in costume. It, Salem is also very interesting, not only because it's a real neighborhood, but also it's not restored to a specific point in time. What one encounters more are its vignettes. Each building is restored to a specific time period, and its lot as well, and its gardens and landscape. So instead of frozen in time, say in 1790 or 1830, Old Salem is really an opportunity to see a community through the evolution of time, and that makes it really special, especially for understanding this arc of history here. Uh, So one encounters buildings that date from the 1760s. The Single Brothers House was built 250 years ago this year. It's a beautiful building that looks like it was plopped down straight out of Saxony in Germany. Um, I was in Saxony last summer, and this this half-timbered architecture is, is present there on the landscape, as we see here in Salem. So we have that amazing look at uh, architecture through time. And then, however, the Moravians uh, didn't just stall out. They are were very vibrant and on the cusp of technology and, um, and um, art. And so the the buildings begin to progress through time as taste and styles change. So we see buildings that reflect the Georgian period and the Federal period, and then we see the Greek Revival period, which was so popular in America in the 1800s. We see that here as well. And then we get into Revival styles, Italianate and um, and other styles that were popular in America. So fortunately, uh, Salem was not restored back to a moment in time, but this this, uh, this beautiful uh, texture and fabric of uh, the 18th and 19th centuries is right at your feet here, and you can encounter all these buildings um, in their, in their um, beautiful restoration. And then, of course, the landscape and the gardens are the context for these beautiful buildings, and this, the horticulture program here at Old Salem began in the 1970s. 1970s to provide context for the buildings because these buildings didn't exist in a vacuum. They were part of a, a thriving community and a, a, a place where gardens were, um, especially in the beginning, were important for sustenance. But Salem was never intended to be a farming community. It was a place of professions and trades. And so uh, the gardens we see transition from being uh, mostly food production to ornamentals, and and that um, can be understood through the history as well. And as I mentioned earlier, native uh, trees and shrubs have been an important part of the reclamation of the landscape as well, and we have some really beautiful specimens. We have uh, a a very nice uh, tree canopy here and some some beautiful trees uh, that are 
gorgeous throughout the seasons. And we even do a special autumn leaves tour to um, to showcase the color of the of the native trees. So uh, the native trees were what were here, although we know the Moravians brought seeds and some plants from Europe. Uh, we have uh, we have lists from the 1760s of what they planted in their gardens. So we we know what is appropriate to plant and medicinals too um, for healing. So uh, all these things are encountered um, on the on the sidewalks, the beautiful buildings, the gardens in the back of the houses and buildings, uh, and the trees. It's just uh, a very wonderful feeling to be here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in the neighborhood, when you were talking about the different types of architecture, it made me wonder, when when you're walking around and, and first there, you don't realize that this is a functioning neighborhood because all the homes are so beautiful. Um, and some of them are even right there on on the main road. And I just assumed that they were all sort of part of, um, you know, the museum buildings. But... A woman, for instance, was selling her house and having an open house, and people were coming and going. <laughs> and our our innkeeper at Zevely Inn, she lived around the corner in a, a charming home. So, the homes that are are there in the neighborhood, um, what periods of time are they from? Well, the the res the, the homes date from all the periods. Okay. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Old Salem does not own all the buildings. We own very few buildings. The, because this was a community effort, uh, the process of restoration has been that Old Salem has acquired buildings when they came up for sale throughout this whole period of restoration, and then they are resold with deed and covenant restrictions, which keep the buildings like they should be in terms of the restoration. So um, many of the buildings have come through Old Salem's hands over the past many decades, and they're bought by regular people who um, want to be in this setting but who have jobs or maybe retired. They're people with children who live here. It's just it's just a real neighborhood, and their houses date across this this arc of history. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned Sherry Gordon, the innkeeper at Zevely. Uh, yes, she lives right down the street in a little cottage from the from the 1890s mm-hmm. and um, is one of the residents. And what's so wonderful about that is that you have these people who are vested in this community and love this place. It's their home. So it just adds that wonderful dynamic to the museum experience to have people who are coming and going and doing their day and uh, and and being a part of it, and then you of course have the interpreters who are employees of Old Salem staff who are in the exhibit buildings, which are scattered throughout the historic area, mm-hmm. and they are in costume appropriate to the time period of that building that they're interpreting, and so. Uh, not only do you encounter textures and materials and architecture in the landscape, you get the textures and the materials and the interior of the buildings and the people and the costumes that are appropriate to that time period. Mm-hmm. So you can see that you're learning all the time while you're having a, a really good visit. Right. And, you know, I, I would really highly encourage our listeners and our readers to stay there because you, you can. And Zevelyan was where I stayed for a couple of days and the the benefit to that besides obviously being you know close to everything and walking distance to to the museums and everything was that i did get to feel like i was part of the neighborhood and and i would see some of the same neighbors out and walking their dogs and um going to the restaurants and such and so i felt like i was part of the neighborhood too and got to know some of the reenactors because i went um, you know, to the buildings more than once and the restaurants more than once. And, and it was just a really great way to be immersed in in the area and the whole energy of the area because it is it is a very energetic and thriving um, place. So I, I encourage people to do that. Right. Zeveli is right on Main Street across from the tavern. It's in the middle of it all, and the rooms are beautiful. Also, the uh, uh, Brookstown Inn, which is a, a rehabilitated t- cotton factory, which was built in the 1830s, is right here in Old Salem. And it is um, a wonderful experience as well. So, yes, um, 
one is encouraged to be close because you're right. You get the feel for the community and you can walk easily here and there. And so I'm glad you had that experience, Courtney. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. And I, I really do recommend it. Now, you touched on this a little bit when you were talking about the Moravian history. But African-American history plays a really important role at Old Salem. So can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Yes. Uh, it's important to remember that it is people of European and African descent who built Winston-Salem. And, and that means we're part of Wachovia from the early period. And there were enslaved people here in this community. Uh, the, the story is very unusual, and it began with, uh, enslaved people who wanted to become Moravians uh, were baptized and in the Moravian Church and became Moravians and were considered spiritual equals. Uh, they lived with the white Moravians, worshipped together. And, and this uh, integrated fellowship is how slavery began here in Salem. But as time went on and as generations changed and, and attitudes changed, uh, there became a press for more for people to own more slaves. And early on, individuals were not allowed to own enslaved people. Only the church could own people and it, because they wanted to keep the numbers small. And those enslaved people would work in various church industries. In any case, as time went on, ideas changed and individuals wanted to own enslaved people. Many did. Not everyone. This is not a homogeneous community by, by any means, and there were many people against the ownership of slaves. But the, the number of slaves increased. In 1822, by that time, there had been a segregation in worship and burial. And so in 1822, it was the women of the white church who really pushed the leadership to extend um, spiritual um, opportunity to the enslaved population. And it was that time when the uh, a congregation was organized among the mostly enslaved uh, community here. And that church is what we know today as St. Philip's Moravian Church. It's, it's the only historic black Moravian church in the United States. And it started here in Salem, and you can visit a reconstruction of that building and learn the stories of the people buried in the neighboring graveyard. And then in 1861, a new church was built, which is still standing, and it was restored about uh, 20 years ago now. And it's it's the, the home of St. Philip's. We call it the Brick Church because the first church was a log building, and we call that the Log Church where the exhibits are. And then the Brick Church is a consecrated space and still used for church. And so we have these remarkable um, um, places on the landscape, the church buildings and the graveyards, to, um, to, to tell the story. And Old Salem began really studying African-American history here back in the 1980s. And the the archaeology and the restoration of the St. Philip's complex began in the 1990s. And so we have been um, working hard to understand this complicated story through time. And in the past couple of years, a new initiative has begun here called the Hidden Town Project. And that is to further research and reveal the stories of enslaved and free Africans and African Americans who lived in Salem. And that is something that visitors will experience now. You'll, we've tried to spread the story from St. Philip, so it's throughout the town, and visitors can understand uh, in, a, in a better way the impact of people of African descent on this town. They were um, various uh, uh, tradespeople who did things, whether it was making bricks or helping in the tannery. They uh, were a part of this community, and uh there's great effort going into the research of that now. We're hoping to do archaeology in the future and reveal some of the places where enslaved people lived. And we're also working hard to connect with descendants uh, of enslaved people who were in Salem. So there's, there's a major effort to do that as well. Uh, St. Philip's, the Brick Church, is the oldest standing African-American church in North Carolina. And as I said, it was built in 1861, and it's a beautiful Greek Revival-style building that uh, is restored to a period around 1920, and it uh, it has quite an impact. It's a very spiritual place, and that is you feel that when you go in that building. So uh, we continue to pursue 
information and to share that with visitors so that when one visits, you get the understanding of the importance of the role of um, enslaved and free people of African descent. And just in September, we are uh, partnering with Wake Forest University Department of History and the Southern Garden History Society for the 22nd um, annual conference on Southern Gardens and Landscapes. And the theme this year is Landscape, Race, and Culture, Shaping a World of Color in the American South. And we are uh, very excited to have this uh, coming in September, September 26th through 28th. And a registration is still open for this. Scholars from across the South mostly are coming or convening, archaeologists, architectural historians, art historians, historians, uh, to talk about landscape in um, the American South through time, and even one professor will be talking about West Africa and the point of departure where uh, people were kidnapped and brought across the um, Atlantic in the Middle Passage to um, this part of the world. We have a keynote, Kofi Boone, who's a professor of um, landscape architecture at North Carolina State University School of Design, and he is his keynote is called Black Landscapes Matter, and that's going to be open to the public. And so we are really uh, gearing up towards this important conference, and um, it's uh, our, at our website, oldsalem.org, one can find uh, registration information. So uh, African-American stories, African and African-American stories are something we continue to pursue with zeal here. Okay, all right. Um, you, you touched on landscape before and in conjunction with talking about the um, conference um, and I, I was really struck by the beautiful landscape and and the gardens that were not just for show um, they they were definitely functional and people were out there working in them um, so talk to us a little bit about how how they you know what what they're used for besides just looking great well, that's such a good question, Courtney, and it's, it's sort of an interesting story. When Old Salem began in the 1950s, the real emphasis was on restoring the buildings because some of them were wrapped in so much later additions that you couldn't recognize an 18th century building. So that was really the focus. <clears throat> and there was a lady here named Flora Ann Bonham. She and her husband bought a house here in 1950, and she became a champion of landscape restoration and, and really pressed for this context for the buildings to have uh, their lots and gardens as they would have been. And so that has, since the 1970s, that has been a real effort. And so one encounters on lots the backyard gardens of uh, the building and how they were organized. And typically a lot in Salem, a residential lot, the houses are all next to the street and around the house is what's called the yard. And that's where chores would be done, where you had your children, you could watch them because everything is fenced down. It's 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 all very safe. And then the long back part of the of the lot was devoted to the garden. And early on, um, as I mentioned earlier, it was it was for a lot of food. Later on, more food was brought into Salem. But uh, you may have visited the Mitch lot, which we interpret sort of as a seat to table experience. And one encounters there. Uh, the garden as it was organized, and typically it was in uh, garden squares. There, I think there's six there that would have seasonal vegetables. And then on the perimeter of the garden next to the surrounding fence, there would be medicinal flowers and plants and maybe espalier fruit trees. And at the back of the lot would be more fruit trees. So what you have basically is this just seasonal larder of food, fruits, vegetables, medicinals for the household. And that those things, which I mentioned earlier, we know from records what they were growing, are what you encounter in Old Salem on, on the various lots. And the niche is a great example. And uh, these, these products that come out of the garden, uh, we have a really important seed-saving program because all the things grown at Old Salem in the gardens are heirlooms, and they're open pollinated, which means that one can save the seed from year to year. And seed saving, of course, is how we have seeds today from hundreds and thousands of years ago. But when industrial farming really took over in the latter part of the 20th century or the second half of the 20th century, people stopped saving seeds uh, of many things. So we know in America today, uh, 
90% of the varieties of fruits and vegetables that were available 100 years ago are extinct. So seed saving is really important for many reasons, and Old Salem has been involved in it for decades. Uh, so many of the uh, things one encounters in the garden, they look like they've been on the vine too long, or the, you know, the okra is 10 inches long, and people say, why aren't you picking that? And those are instances where things are being um, allowed to go to seed. We know that that phrase, to go to seed, so that they can be saved for seeds. Hmm. And those are particular things each year. But other things in the gardens are, are used in the museum kitchens on the hearth to, uh, to cook the food. And the interpreters typically cook things to show the public. So they'll have uh, things that they cook from the garden. And um, then when we have extra things... We share them with the tavern here, this tavern at Old Salem, which is a, a restaurant, and they use them in their in their dishes. So the gardens are important to understand the history of the of the landscape and the use of the land. But they're important for our seed saving program in horticulture. They're important for um, using appropriate. Uh, product in our museum kitchens, and they're important um, when we can share them with the tavern, and people love to see on the menu there that the, the rosemary is from the, from the Old Salem Gardens or the beets or things like that. So it's, it's really fun to be able to, to do that. So the gardens are, are highly important. I mean, my goodness, uh, people have to eat, and so uh, food was um, essential, and they had really good food here because they were attuned to, um, to their gardens so, um, so chiefly. Yeah, the, I mean, the being able to see the gardens, and, and frankly, I, I didn't realize when I was there the historical nature of them, so that makes it all the more interesting. Um, but that's just part of the the living essence of going to Old Salem, which is just, I think, amazing. And when we were well, there... Well, that's right, and... Oh, excuse me, go ahead. Well, I, I was just going to ask about the Cobblestone Farmer's Market, because we were able to to visit that and I thought that was just a wonderful extension of of the history and and kind of the new mixed with the old because the market's right there right off of um the main street. That's right. That's right. Well, I'm so glad you were able to be here on a Saturday morning. This is the 8th year of the Cobblestone Farmers Market and it is a producer only market and all of the uh, there, uh, right now, I think there are around 50 vendors. Usually, there are 30 to 40 on a Saturday morning, and they're all vetted. It's sustainable production, and uh, so the people who grow the food have to be the ones to sell it. People can't drive down to South Carolina and buy a box of cantaloupes and sell them at the market. The the, the items that are sold are from the people who grew them, and so there's just a plethora of vegetables and fruits and breads and cheeses and ice cream and wine and um, soaps and lotions. It's just every product you can imagine. Um, honey, it's it's a really spectacular garden. I mean, excuse me, uh, it's a spectacular market next to the garden. You're exactly right. It's right next to the Single Brothers Garden. And so people experience that relationship when they're entering the market, they're coming through the Single Brothers Garden. So you're walking through a living garden into a market that has these incredibly beautiful products. And the garden, uh, as the entranceway, does make that connection for people, I think. And the market was so successful from the beginning that U.S. News & World Report ranked it in the top 11 markets in the country in its inaugural year. So it's, it's, really, it's really fabulous. And underlying all this, the reason that we uh, partnered with uh, Beta Verde to start this market here in Old Salem was to restore a traditional food system. And let me just explain that a little bit. Mm -hmm. Wachovia, as I mentioned earlier, this 100,000 acres that the Moravians purchased, Salem was established as a central town, and, a, and it was the urban center. It is the urban center, and around it were, were more rural farming congregations. So from the beginning, the Moravians envisioned a system of the urban and the rural in a reciprocal relationship. So we see the Cobblestone Farmer's Market as a restoration of a traditional food system when you have your, uh, your rural farmers bringing their product into Salem for the urban people who don't grow all this. And we know from our history here that 
farmers uh, brought food into Salem from the from the early 19th century into the 1970s, and it was called peddling. And farmers would have particular clients in Salem and in later in Winston that they would visit in their wagons with uh, things from their farm. They would have produce. They might have milk and sausage and eggs. And so this this was really important, even as I said, to the 1970s. So um, that's why this is a part of this whole um, ethic of, of, of the museum and the community. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm, so definitely. that it's, um, it's, it's more than just a, a farmer's market. It's a market with meaning, you might say, because it, it, it takes us to that time where the urban and the rural are in relationship, mm-hmm. like the Moravians envisioned with their, with their um, Wachovia community. I, I love that. I love that it's, I mean, it was a great farmer's market anyway, but, you know, knowing that it is connected in those ways and not just that it's held there, you know, just because it's a um, a tourist attraction and a good place to to draw from people. So that's, that's really great. Um, you know, I was really, really impressed by the reenactors and, the, you know, that they're in costume and they never broke character at all, and yet... I'd never felt like I was watching a show, um, you know, with them being in character. It was just like I was walking into this merging of of history and the present. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what their duties are and, you know, why why they are in costume and what life is like for them? Well, the interpreters are, are staff members who are interpretive staff, and they are uh, highly trained in the history of the place, some of our interpreters have been here for for two decades or more, and within the interpreters, there are people who do who are tradespeople who are creating things while they're interpreting. You may have encountered the pottery where people are making real pottery, mm-hmm. or you may have in, encountered um, someone weaving on a. a a 18th century loom in the single brother's house and the product is real and we are uh, we have a, a line now called uh, Salem 1766 which is uh, products that have been made by interpretive staff trade staff that are for sale in um, the tea baggy merchant store pottery and textiles and and pewter and um, things like that that people can um, take home with them and they're they're made uh, in the traditional way that they were made here. So uh, that's an aspect of it as well. There's also, also in the Vogler House you may have encountered the quilting. People can go in and try their hand at quilting there and because Mrs. Vogler, Christina Vogler, was a big quilter, as many, most women were at sewing. They're beautiful sewing. We have examples of gorgeous embroidery and, and quilting here uh, that, uh, is now infused into the interpretation. So hands-on, not only are the interpreters able to share with you information, in many instances you're able to do it, you're, you're able to experiment. You can try your hand at pottery, you can try your hand at quilting, you can visit the doctor's house and learn how to um, to grind the herbs that would have been used for different um, um, healing uh, properties and so uh, tactile experience is really important and um, the the interpreters and guides will help you with that and will answer your questions and if they don't know the answer they'll just say I don't know but mm-hmm. mostly they know the answers to the questions and really try to uh, to share about the people who lived where they in the building they might be in and, and what was going on there through time so uh, um, yes our interpreted staff, they are just excellent people and work really hard to engage the public and engage in a really interesting, thoughtful way. Well, and, and me being me, I, you know, I ask a lot of questions. I'm a reporter. I'm curious about things. And I, I asked all of them a lot of questions, and they were very patient with me and very nice and more than willing to, um, to uh, answer you know, all my questions, which was great. So um, one place that I 
say was probably the most popular there in terms of um, where people were gathering was the bakery. Um, so as a culinary travel writer, of course, the, my experience in the bakery was particularly interesting to me. Um, can you tell me, uh, tell us a little bit about the history of the bakery and um, what people experience when they go there? Yes, Winkler Bakery is just fabulous. The, in the morning, in the early morning, when the fire is built, there's the smell of wood smoke in the district, and so you smell that. And and it's uh, the bakery itself is, is very old, and the Winkler family uh, started baking there in 1807 and baked to 1927. So in terms of continuity of use, it, it really is remarkable. Old Salem restored and uh, the Beehive, Squirrel Tail Beehive oven there, which is this big brown domed oven uh, for the baking, and so you can see that oven, and you can you can sample uh, cookies and sugar cake and breads, and so it, it, the fragrance or the aromas are just so wonderful in that building, and it is very popular, and uh, it 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 has this long history, and it's very interesting to think about the history of bread and baking in Salem because the Moravians. Uh, came out of Central Europe, and they were wheat growers and wheat eaters. And here in North Carolina, in the middle of the 18th century, there was just a huge amount of corn grown. So it was unusual to have these people these planting all this wheat. And, of course, they grew corn, too, but uh, they were baking wheat breads, and they brought uh, with them wheat seed, Italian wheat seed, early on. And so wheat and... Um, bread has always been critical to the diet here, and, and so we see the reproduction of many old recipes, which are called receipts, in our in our kitchens and in the Winkler Bakery. Of course, I guess the the, the highlight is the Moravian sugar cake, which is that wonderful uh, yeast uh, and potato bread that is like a coffee cake, you might say, with just lots of brown sugar and cinnamon and butter and a delicious yeast bread on it. And that's certainly one of the favorites. Of course, the thin Moravian cookies are always fun and good. And then there, there are other breads, there, there, the, the round loaves of wheat and white bread and uh, rosemary bread. And, and then sometimes the bakers try other things as well. So it's all delicious. And uh, you just, you can't visit Old Salem without going to the bakery. It's just it's just so much fun. Yeah, definitely. And you mentioned Moravian cookies, which um, pop up everywhere, fortunately, throughout one's visit to Old Salem. Um, and there's a Moravian cookie trail, too, right? And um, Winkler yes. Bakery is part of that. Um, tell us more about that. Oh, well, that is so much fun. And uh, we can credit Visit Winston-Salem with uh, creating this Moravian cookie trail. I believe they're the ones that thought it up. In any case, uh, there are different places in Winston-Salem that make Moravian cookies. Old Salem, of course, makes a lot and sells a lot of the ginger and the sugar and the lemon and varieties. And there's also uh, different bakeries in town that, that make cookies. But I would say the most... Um, a memorable place to visit is Mrs. Haynes' Moravian Cookies. And Mrs. Haynes, Eva Haynes and her husband Travis, started this uh, cookie factory back in um, the middle part of the 20th century. Eva learned to make cookies from her mother, and they would make them at certain times of the year, and then it just really evolved into this business. And now they make millions of cookies and send them all over the world, and they're all made by hand. And Eva's out of one of those outline, Eva and Travis both are out of one of those outline farming congregations I was talking about in Wachovia, and they are from the Friedberg community, Friedberg Moravian Church. So her cookie factory is on Friedberg Church Road, uh, just um, to the south of Winston-Salem, and it's a it's a business that has grown to so the factory, and, and I use that term loosely, but I think that's what it's called, the, the or you might even call it a studio, the place where they bake is uh, has been created so that there are glass panels so that when you visit the cookie factory you can watch these uh, 
the process of these cookies. And, and if one can imagine an old architect's drawing board, which is an angled board at a 45-degree angle, covered in a cheesecloth or some kind of canvas cloth, I'm not sure what they use, and it's very large, it's probably three feet by five feet, and it's, uh, it's on that angle, and the, the ladies are there with their, and it's all women as far as I can tell, the ladies are there with their, their pile of dough, which they put on their board, and they get their rolling pin out, and they roll it just as thin as can be. And then they have their um, tin cookie cutters, which they cut the cookies and put them on the cookie sheets, and then the cookie sheets go into these large ovens and are baked to perfection, and then they're hand-packed in the tins. It's remarkable to watch these women because I've made these cookies and they make it look just so easy and 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 they roll this dough out so thin and it's so smooth and it's it's really a treat I, I would say they're probably you can help me here Courtney but maybe 20 of these um, angled cookie boards where they're rolling out the dough and mm-hmm. so they're that many women doing the cookies and then they're women who are putting them in the ovens, picking the trays up, and then there are women who are putting them in the packaging. So it's a real production process, and it's just, it's just, it's on spot every time. And like I said, Mrs. Haynes mails these cookies all over the world, and each one is perfect and delicious. So that's a treat because you get to watch the process of, of this hand-rolling, hand-baking, and hand-packing um, um, Production, so yes, Mrs. Haynes is really fun. So there are lots of ways to encounter cookies here in um, Winston Salem. Yeah, I, I, we were lucky enough to have Mr. Haynes give us the tour, and um, you, uh, you, you've got to do a tour. You've got to sign up for one if for no other reason because then because you get to have samples <laughs> along oh, the way. Oh, that's right. You do, the, and there's the kinds. lemon and the black oh. walnut, which is really special because, you know, yeah. you don't have a lot of opportunity to eat black walnuts because they're really hard to get out of the shell. Right. But they have a black walnut cookie. I have to say that's my favorite. Yeah. Um, that's really nice to have in the fall when you're thinking about things like that. But, yes, uh, Travis is amazing. And you can visit the cookie uh, factory anytime. You don't have to have a reservation, or but you can sign up for a tour, like you say, especially groups. Mm-hmm. And they, they take church groups through and um, community groups and school groups. So they will um, they will meet your needs. So that's a great idea. Yeah, it, it was very, very interesting. And, and I have to say, uh, you know, watching the women, because you get to see the whole process, like you said, from, from, you know, them rolling it out to the cookie cutters. And I was just amazed how they go from from stamping you know the the cookie dough and putting it in their hand and laying it out on the sheet so seamlessly you know obviously they've been doing this a long long time but you know it put my cookie making processes to shame because uh, mine are very clumsy and theirs were just kind of lovely to watch so it is Oh I think um, that's right lovely is a good way to put it yeah, Courtney they yeah. are it's it's remarkable Yeah it's a dance you know in a way and they're all you know they're doing their thing and and you can you get to see it all just standing there and oh the the aromas are just unreal you got to go there it's they really a great are place. they are and plus they have a lot of they have a lot of uh, documentation of the cookie factory on the wall so you can see things that have changed you can see the important people who have visited and mm-hmm. uh, then there's pottery for sale that's local and Mr Haynes Travis makes these beautiful walking sticks and I think they're for sale too mm-hmm. so it's a uh, it's just it's an amazing place. It's yeah. it's definitely an important small business, but you you feel so special when you go there. You're exactly right. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I'm one for finding things off the beaten path um, a little bit. And so I wanted to ask you, are there some things in Old Salem that people just don't tend to see because maybe they are off on one of the side streets? Like the cemetery, for instance, we, we found our way there and... That was amazing, and there's a coffee pot sculpture, which I I don't quite remember the story of. So tell us about some of the places we need to meander and veer off a little bit to make sure we experience in Old Salem. Oh, great question. Well, it's it's about 100 acres here. So when you arrive at the visitor center, you're given a map, and so you can find things. And the, the cemetery in the Moravian world is known as 
God's Acre or God's Field, and here it's called God's Acre. And it is uh, a, a graveyard really not, like no other. The Moravians believed in equality and death. So the graveyard, if you can imagine, is on this, uh, this grassy, uh, sloping uh, place, and all the headstones are the same, basically. They're, they're white, flat uh, headstones that are very simple with the name and the birth and the death date. Sometimes the early ones say where people were born, many in Europe in the old part, and then there, there might be a text, a Bible verse at the bottom. And the graveyard is arranged, and the, in the Moravian world they're known as graveyards. And the graveyard is arranged according to the choir system, and the choir system has to do with your, um, really your cohort group in life. There's a single brothers and a single sister's choir, married brothers, married sister's choir, and children's choir, and, and burial is organized that way. And that has to do with the Moravian belief in the resurrection and the importance of God's family at the resurrection. So the earthly family really is is not what is significant at the resurrection. So thus you're buried in these groupings according to your choir. So one encounters that. It's very organized. They're uh, in quadrants and paths, and there's some ancient uh, redwoods. There's the oldest uh, ginkgo in North Carolina is in this graveyard. It's known as the Ron Teller ginkgo, and in the fall it is spectacular. So it's a very beautiful place. And adjacent to God's Acre is Salem Cemetery, which is a very different kind of graveyard. And this is a graveyard that was established in um, the late 1850s, right after the Moravians ended their theocratic government. Salem was a theocracy from the beginning until 1856-57, and the Salem Cemetery was established by people from Salem and people from Winston, which had just been established a few years before, as a place for family burial. So that might be more familiar to people where you have um, a family plot. And this is a very beautiful, picturesque graveyard as well, but it's very different because you have vertical monuments of, of all kinds. And... Uh, it's it's meandering paths and not rectilinear. It's designed in that mid nineteenth century idea of the promenade and mm-hmm. and walking through. Uh, uh, cemeteries were used for that back then because that there weren't parks around then so much. Um, so you get those two graveyards that are juxtaposed but beautiful, and they're um, the, the Moravian graveyard and then the the graveyard that's the family-oriented, not Moravian graveyard, but there were a lot of Moravians buried there. It was a Moravian who designed it, Elias Vogler. Um, So those are things off the beaten path. And also you mentioned the coffee pot, which is really, really a fun story. It's It's a giant coffee pot made of tin or metal, and it's located on Main Street, but that's not where it has always been. It was originally a shop sign for the Mickey Ten Shop, and this was located a couple blocks from where it is today. And shop signs were used all all during time periods in America, and certainly here in Salem, to indicate what was sold inside. So, for instance, um, the baker might have a picture of a sheaf of of wheat outside of its shop, and a a rifle maker might have a, a... of what looks like a, a rifle hanging outside of its shop. So these are these are cues to what is being produced. So Mickey made this giant coffee pot and put it on the sidewalk in front of the shop to advertise that they were a tin shop. And back in the 19, late 1950s when um, I-40 was built in North Carolina, the first segment was right through Winston-Salem. And it was very damaging, as you can imagine. But one of the things that plowed through was the northern part of Salem and the Mickey Ten Shop and that area was going to be, had to be leveled. And so rather than just destroying this wonderful coffee pot, it was moved two blocks to the south in a little green space. And so it is now really um, an icon for Winston-Salem and a symbol of hospitality. So you see the coffee pot all over the place in terms of, um, it, it, for a while I think it was used as a, a logo for Old Salem. Uh, so it's, it's beautiful. It's surrounded by flowers now that the neighbors that live there uh, cultivate. So it's definitely a picture spot, and it's it's unusual. And there there are all sorts of stories of 
uh, soldiers have hidden in there, and I don't know if that's true. And mm -hmm. I know that back in the 20th century, boys here got in trouble for putting firecrackers in it, and okay. unfortunately it didn't hurt anything. But So there, it has its stories as well. But, yeah, those are definitely things off the beaten path. And also I'll say um, uh, Tanner's Run and, and Tar Branch are creeks that flow through Old Salem that were part of a major steam reclam stream reclamation project back in the, in the 1990s. Uh, urban streams frequently are, are culverted and covered, and we never even know they're there. So these, these streams were part of a major restoration, and they are adjacent to archaeological sites that are marked, the um, brewery and the distillery and, and others, where you can see the history there and enjoy. Uh, often there are um, water, bird, water birds in the, in the creek, these, these tall um, uh, birds and, and songbirds, and, because water is a source of life, of course, and it attracts wildlife. So um, the streams are beautiful, and um, that's off the beaten path as well. Hmm. So there are, lots of, there are lots of things to find, for Good. sure. Good. Um, so in, in wrapping up a little bit now, because thank you for, for painting such a wonderful picture of everything that can be seen and, and done and absorbed and eaten <laughs> there, uh, are there any are there particular times of the year that are especially good for visiting Old Salem? Well, there each season has its particular um, beauty and attraction. Certainly, you were here in the spring, so you saw the emergence of the gardens, and mm -hmm. May is a great time for flowers. Summer is fun for everything. July Fourth is always special because the first. July Fourth observance was in Salem um, hmm. back in in the, in the 1780s. So that's usually there's something very special then. We uh, display flags of the time period, so you can see different flags um, in the United States history. So summer is great. Fall, of course, um, we think of harvest and we think of uh, the tree color. And here we are in Piedmont, North Carolina, so we have lots of deciduous trees that are gorgeous here. And I think I mentioned we have a tree tour in the fall and getting into Thanksgiving. And, and then, of course, Christmas is um, spectacular. Christmas is there's no other place like it than being in Old Salem at Christmas. The Moravian Church uh, has the candle uh, candle tea, which is in early December, that the women of the church do. And then Old Salem um, does special things throughout December. And the, the district is decorated with native greens and all, just everywhere there, there are boughs and, and wreaths and, and greens. <clears throat> so Christmas is special with special tours, special Christmas tours. And then in the time period between Christmas and New Year's, uh, Old Salem launched a new initiative last year called the Winter Fair. And this year it's going to be even bigger and more spectacular, which is really a wonderful time to bring your family or come visit because of the special programs and workshops and lectures and hands-ons and music. Uh, music, of course, permeated life here. The Moravians were known for their music. They brought trombones to this country. Uh, some of the earliest chamber music in America was composed in Salem. So music plays a big role all the time, but especially at Christmas. You can um, really enjoy it here. Uh, so beeswax candles and um, that wonderful smell is, is a big part of Christmas. Mm -hmm. So Christmas is wonderful too. Um, the early part of the year is very quiet, but we're still here and, and kitchens are cooking and you can get out of the cold and January cold, February cold and go into a nice warm kitchen. And then of course, um, Lent and the Easter season are important in the Moravian Church and the Easter sunrise service is something the Moravian Church here does. Uh, and has been doing since 1772. And it is a, a, a service like no other, and it starts at Salem Square in the dark and then processes to God's Acre uh, with Moravian bands playing antiphonally. And it concludes in God's Acre where every grave has flowers on it. All the graves have been scrubbed shiny the day before, and uh, the band plays as the sun rises in the east, and it, it's just phenomenal. And there have been as many as 20,000 people here wow. for it. So that's really special as well. So you can see that really year-round is a good time to visit. And yeah. so we'd, we'd love to have people come whenever it works for them. Wow, that sounds amazing. 
Um, so over the course of the year, can people go to Old Salem any of the day, any day of the week, and and be able to walk into some of the buildings? Yes, the the museum is open every day except for Monday. Uh, we started that several years ago because we really need a day to do maintenance and clean and that sort of thing. So Monday is closed. If you've visited in Europe, you know that their Monday and Tuesday are days museums are closed. Well, we're closed on Monday. So um, every, every day of the week except for Monday, we are open uh, from 9 until 5 and uh, on Sundays from 1 until 5. So you can come and visit. You can buy. There are various uh, opportunities in terms of tickets that you purchase. You can buy the regular ticket, which is actually a two-day ticket. So you can, because you can, as you know, Courtney, you can spend more than one day seeing the buildings and the landscape. Yeah. Or you can get a, 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 if you're just here for, you know, you're passing through and you come off the highway and you just have time for a couple buildings, you can buy a two-stop ticket, which means you can dash into one or two buildings mm -hmm. just to get a taste and then hopefully you'll come back for more. So there there are options that way as well. Uh, so the exhibit, Old Salem has um, has exhibit buildings that you can visit, and as I said, you you know, two days is really good. And the gardens and the landscape. Um, private homes are not open for touring, but you see them from the outside. You can see mm -hmm. their yards. It's all very transparent and. Um, you know, part of the community, and there are gardens in the backs of, of many residential homes as well. So it's it's certainly a living, thriving community. Yeah, definitely. And I'd recommend, I mean, I, I recommend going longer than just a long weekend, but what we did was we came in early on a Friday and left Monday evening, and that actually worked out perfectly because we had plenty of time to to you know, spend a good long time in Old Salem and really see things and really talk to people. But then on Monday, when things were closed down, that's when we went to the city a little bit more and, ex and explored that. And we have a an article on realfoodtraveler.com about um, a perfect weekend in Winston-Salem where we, we talk about what we discovered in Old Salem, but also what we discovered, you know, outside of the area. So that would be a good resource for people to go to and, and really even use it as an itinerary because it was our itinerary and it, it worked perfectly. So, um, yeah, so that's that's a good recommendation to take advantage of it is. Uh, Monday off. And I visited that, Courtney, and you did a great job. It oh, was very uh, thorough and holistic and touched on just great high points and and out of the way things too so i yeah i highly recommend that as well, well thank you very much <laughs> um and of course over the beautiful wooden covered bridge there's you know one of your museums do you recommend people start there or and then go into you know down main street or or what what order should they do well you're Speaking of the Museum of Early Southern Decorative Arts, which is the premier uh, collection of Southern furniture, textiles, silver, pottery in in the world, and uh, if you are someone who loves decorative arts, then you definitely want to tour Mesda. And if you want to get behind the scenes looks and spend time examining furniture, you can schedule a special uh, tour that's an hour to an hour and a half that's basically immersing in um, the objects in the collection. So you can you can tour the galleries, self-guided tour. There, there are three galleries. There's the Moravian Gallery, and then there's the Ceramics Gallery and a Furniture Gallery. Or you can sign up for the tour of all the different rooms um, that are in the in the Horton Center. So it really depends on your interest level. You can, if you're, if you want to do that, it is right across the covered bridge that um, you mentioned. So you can you can go there first and see the do the self guided touring, which doesn't require any reservation, and you get in with your regular ticket. Or you can make a reservation and come back for an in depth tour. Or you can do that at the end of the day. It really depends. The tours here are self guided. As I said, you'll you'll be greeted at the visitor center, and the the people at the visitor center desk are very knowledgeable, and they will suggest to you how you may want to tour the historic area. Uh, it's you're really on your own to decide your itinerary mm -hmm. and how much you want to see and how you'd like to organize your day. Of course, the tavern at Old Salem is a wonderful place to eat, um, and I would recommend reservations because sometimes there are a lot of people here, and you, if you want to make sure you get a spot, you want to have reservations ahead of time. So you can really uh, 
orchestrate your experience the way you want to. And um, so the, the, the stop at Mesda is up to you, whether you want to do it at the beginning or the end or in the middle, or if you want to just view the galleries or have a hands-on and pull out drawers and look at furniture construction, you can do that too. So it's, it's a really wonderful opportunity to see really important and beautiful um, objects, art objects and, and objects. Um, we have, as I said, the Moravian Gallery, Moravian objects as well, and objects from across the South. Hmm. That's great. Thank you for those tips. So you, you've been a wealth of information, and I thank you so much for um, talking to us today. And um, uh, so I guess the, the last thing is, if people want more information beyond what you've provided and, and beyond what our article provided on the site, where should people go to get more information? Well, it's so easy. OldSalem.org is our website address, and there you'll find uh, schedules, calendars, initiatives, uh, all sorts of what we're working on in terms of research, uh, where you can dine, where you can um, where you can stay overnight. There are just all kinds of information on the website. So OldSalem.org, uh, very easy, and... Um, you should be able to navigate well. If you can't, then you can certainly call uh, the number there if you need further information. So there are people, there are real people here who mm -hmm. can answer the phone and um, and help you um, with your with your plans. Great. Well, and I have to tell you, after I spent several days there, a month later, my husband and I were visiting our daughter who was living in North Carolina at the time. And just for a day trip, we took him um, to Old Salem and walked around and, and we're just chattering at him constantly, telling him all the things that we had learned and experienced. And, and he just loved it. So it, it can be done in a day, but I do recommend people stay overnight and uh, really you know, kind of take their time with everything and be able to see it all. Um, so, you know, listening to you today, I want to go back again. <laughs> now I want to go back in the fall, see what that's like, and again uh, with the holidays. Well, Courtney, and... thank you for your enthusiasm, and I'm so glad your experience was wonderful. Uh, was. We want that for everyone, and it is, as I said at the very beginning, it's a it's a beautiful place. It's like no other. There's no other place like Old Salem in this country, and probably not in the world. And there's a lot to discover here, and I think all kinds of people find interesting things. So um, we, we hope that your listeners will come visit. Well, I could not put it any better, and that's why you're the director there. So thank you so much, um, and I hope everyone takes your advice and, and comes and says that they heard about Old Salem through realfoodtraveler.com, through the website and through our podcast. And Martha, thank you again for your time today. I really, really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Courtney. It's been a pleasure.